Good morning, church. Hey, it's springtime. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Today we'll be reading uh, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Imagine that. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. <clears throat> and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The, people's dwelling, the people dwelling in darkness had seen a great light, for those dwelling in the region had and shadow of death on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and pro proclaiming the gospel in the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with the various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to lift up this morning to you, Lord, and Lord, I uh, want to lift up Jackie as he expounds on these scriptures, Lord. Lord, help them, him to explain more in detail what uh, this all, all means, Lord. Lord, and I also want to lift up the Sunday school teachers, uh, Lord, as they teach this morning and help their eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, as they go to Sunday school. In your name we pray, amen. And the kids can go to Sunday school now. Oh, look at them all go. <clears throat> well, this morning, we're going to focus on Matthew four twelve through 25. Hopefully, I'm going to finish it. Originally, I had other plans, but, you know, God always wins. Have you noticed that in your life yet? Two weeks ago, we looked at the temptation, right? Jesus in the wilderness. 
That ended in verse 11. I don't know if you like to write in your Bibles. I like to write in mine. Between verse 11 and verse 12, a year and a half passed. I know a lot of times we have pictures in our mind about, you know, Jesus' ministry. Like, it went like this. First he came, and he got baptized, he was tempted, and then he called all those disciples, and they started going around together. But that's not how it worked. Because that's not how it works in our life today. Our, our relationships are a little bit more, um, I don't know what the right word is. They're, they're not that well planned out. Like we, we go through life. We're going to read Jesus' sermons on the mount in chapter 5 through 7. And we're going to f- focus in on that. But we need to understand he gave that sermon more than one time. He taught for three years. He taught about these things. Sometimes he'd talk about this section. Sometimes he'd talk about that section. But it was something that was, um, that was a, a little freer than how we read it in the text. You and I re, re, read Matthew and we see the temptation of Christ. And then, you know, boom, he's in the Galilee. You miss the wedding at Cana. That's in John chapter 1 and 2. And you missed uh, Luke chapters 1 through 4. They all go in the gap. In Luke, one of the things that precedes Jesus going down to Capernaum is his rejection in Nazareth. All of these things, we if we don't, the Bible wants us to read the whole thing. You get that? Not just one piece, not just one part. Paul, when he was declaring to the people in Ephesus, his ministry to them. Before the New Testament was written, some of it is done, but not all of it is finished. Do you remember what Paul told the elders at Ephesus? I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It all matters. It's all an important thing that we want to be able to understand. He says in verse 12 and 13, now... When he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived at Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So we have him going, a particular place, he's going to go to Capernaum, oh, that's where Peter lives, right? And we're going to see Peter and Andrew, we're going to see James and John gathered together as his disciples. In, in Mark chapter 1, It says in verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. In Luke 4, it says, Now he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went up throughout all the surrounding country. Verse 31 of Luke 4 says, When he went to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one having authority. So Jesus, prior to these things taking place, he's been at a a wedding in Cana. He has probably interacted with the men he's calling disciples in one way or another in that that year and a half. I know a lot of times we look at it, and, and preachers, we love to say this, you know, Jesus called them and they just left. But Jesus probably interacted with them before. It's not like Jesus just walked up to the boat and they never heard anything he said or saw anything he did. But as he's gathering his disciples, they're familiar with who he is, what he is is bringing, what he is doing. I think part of the reason why there's not a great family divide with Peter and Andrew and James and John is because their families were aware of who Christ was. He was already teaching. He was already sharing. He was already doing. In fact, he's going to do so much in Capernaum that in chapter 11, he's going to write these words. He's going to say, you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, or the grave. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. To whom much is given, much is required. 
they had Jesus in their midst, teaching and preaching and going around in the area of the Galilee. He was there a lot. Their response should have been greater. And because of the of the that which was given to them, the presence of God teaching in their midst, they're going to be held to a higher level <coughs> of accountability. Not only is is Jesus going down to Nazareth. Not only has he been rejected by his hometown already, he passes through their midst when they're looking to destroy him, but then there's a prophecy that Scripture tells us about. As we look in in Matthew 4, verse 14, it says, So that what was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Another way to say that is Galilee of the nations. In the Galilee, 50% of the population was Gentile. It was not strictly Jewish. The strictly Jewish places he's going to go and minister is Jerusalem. You guys remember what happens there, right? But as he's doing his ministry, he's down here in this place, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. See, it involves a prophecy about light coming to a dark place. And we go through the word of God. I think it's important that for us to realize that the word of God does not try to hide or paint over Uh, times of oppression and depression where we might individually find ourselves in a dark place or corporately as a area or a, a, a town or a state or a country find ourselves in a dark place. The Bible's full of that. If you read your way through the Psalms, have you ever read a Psalm that the guy sounded depressed? Yeah, because he was. Have you ever been depressed? If you're honest... You probably have depression. You know, it's that time when you feel down, but you don't really have something specific you want to point to. And if you were to describe it, you would say, I just feel like I'm in the dark. And I don't really want the light. I'm okay here. I just want to stay here in the dark. I want to go to bed and not get up. There are so many people in that place right now as, as I was putting together the message for this morning and considering God's word for us, it, it just, that concept of a light coming to the dark. And you need to keep that concept of the light coming to the dark and the judgment on Capernaum because they wouldn't respond. Because God's going to bring light into your life through his word, through worship, through prayer, through the encouraging words of a brother or sister, or maybe a rebuke from a brother or sister. And you can turn a deaf ear to it over and over again. But you will not be able to say, I was in the dark, where were you, Lord? Because the 23rd Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. Psalm 139 says, doesn't matter where I make my bed. I make my bed on the highest mountain or the deepest sea. I make my bed in the heavens or I make my bed in the grave. You are with me. We have this promise from Isaiah that light was coming into the Galilee of the Gentiles. Interesting how they title it, no? Not Galilee of the Jews. Were there Jews there? For sure. Was there synagogues? Yes. Did Jesus teach in a synagogue? Absolutely did. Were there Gentiles hearing the message as well? Yes. Were their hearts being prepared as well? Yes. Why? Because the message of the gospel, the kingdom of God, is not only for the Jews. It was to the Jew first, but then also to the Gentiles. And this is foreshadowing that truth. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. 
John the Baptist, bear witness about the light. Who's the light? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is that light. It says in, in verse 8 of John 1, he was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And now he's going to describe it in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone. Who does Jesus give light to? What if you're in your own personal darkness? Doesn't matter, does it? Does Jesus give light to you? I'm pretty thankful that, that God doesn't just go, you know, Jackie, you should be tougher than this. I don't know why this has got you so rocked. Uh, you know, when you decide to, all the, all the things I want to say, I shouldn't say from here. When, uh, who cares? When you, when you decide to pull your head out, I'll be here waiting for you. <laughs> things I never thought I'd hear in church. From the preacher. Yeah. But that's not God. Where is God? When I, when I was in darkness and when I feel depressed and I feel lost and I feel like I'm I don't want to do anything anymore, and I just want to throw... You know everybody feels like that, right? Even the guys who say, I've never really been depressed. Yeah, okay. The reality is, when you're in that place, His light is there. He came to shine light on everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did, he gave them the power to become the children of God. This is the light that has dawned in this dark place. John 8, 12, Jesus is going to stand before the people and make this declaration. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Light came to the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, what we may not know about Naphtali, what we may not know about Zebulun, is these areas were set up in the Old Testament as cities of refuge. Why does it matter that we understand the whole counsel of God? Because in a whole counsel of God, there's foreshadowing. There's nothing new that has not been foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Something that was begun the concept directing us to the reality if you find something absolutely and utterly and completely and totally new with no shadow no reference no concept that is bearing light to it you might have found something that's not real but when we go through we walk through the the gospel says these cities are cities of refuge. What was the city of refuge for? The city of refuge was a place for someone who had committed accidental murder, manslaughter. He had committed murder. There were no policemen in the Old Testament. You guys never thought about that, huh? No policemen. What happened? The avenger of blood, if you took someone's life wrongly, the avenger of blood, another member of another family would come for you. And you had an opportunity to flee to a city of refuge. And in this city of refuge, you could be saved. Now, do you see the foreshadowing? Zebulun and Naphtali, the city of the Gentiles, where is the light of the world come? Where does Jesus come to bring his light to the picture of the city of refuge where people who understand I've done wrong, now maybe it was accidental, but I still did wrong, Right? Is that any different than our sin? Do you know you still sin? You still have wicked thoughts and, and wicked intentions and things that we recognize. Man, I need salvation. And so where do I go for that salvation? The picture was you went to a particular place. And that just so happens to be where Jesus came and started his ministry. The light coming to a dark place. And what was that light coming? It was not, it was not coming to, to ridicule you for your failures or your struggles. It was coming to tell you, you have been forgiven. Jesus Christ is coming to make a way. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says, I am the Lord. 
I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant, a promise for the people, a light for the goyim, Gentile. A light. The Bible is, this, this concept of the gospel going to Gentiles is not new, it's not a surprise. It was something that the prophets talked about. Hey, this is going to happen. These events are going to take place. The Lord is going to use the, the nation of Israel. The 12 disciples are Jewish men who are going to go forth with the word of God to the nations. They're, gonna, they're going to begin in Jerusalem and many will never leave Jerusalem. Some will die there. But they're going to end up all over the place. And their disciples will end up all over the place. And their disciples will end up all over the place. And God will bring the light to the dark. In Isaiah 60, verse 1, it says, Arise and shine, for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Thick darkness, the peoples, goyim, the Gentiles, the nations. Are the nations today in darkness? You think that has changed? Is that a new state? They weren't in darkness before, but now they're in darkness? No, they're in darkness. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light. The goyim. They will come to the light. Will all of them come? No. Did all of them come to Jesus? And the ones who don't come, will they face judgment? Yes. Because the light came, the light shone in the darkness. But John chapter 1 goes on to say, here's the condemnation of men. Men love the darkness rather than the light. Did the darkness shine? Could they see it? Could they go? But they love the darkness. That word for love, by the way, is the word agape. They love the darkness just like God so loved the world. They love it to the point where they want to stay in that place. Psalm 107 verse 10 says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, and they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help, and they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. So there are times when we're in the darkness. This is an example of the nation of Israel, right? In disobedience, rebellion against God, God allows them to go under judgment. In that judgment, they have their back bowed. They're in heavy labor. Things are not coming together. Their life is all falling apart. Finally, they run out of their own strength and they fall on their face in the dirt. And at the end of themselves, they cry out, Oh, Lord. And what did the word declare? Do you know what it says in the book of Romans? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there someone who calls on God's name? Lord, save me. And God says no. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. So you can shake your fist at God, but then you can't say, God, where were you? Yeah, he's there. He's there. You can shake your fist at the Lord, but God wants you to know, I am here. I am here, and I'm willing to lift you out of the darkness. But sometimes we look at that darkness like an old friend. It's warm here. And... If I just wallow here in this dark place, nobody can hurt me anymore. You know, there's no part of the Bible where God says people won't hurt you, even in the darkness. 
That stuff's still good. No, there's no way to save ourselves from a fallen world other than Christ. There's no way to save ourselves from the, the fallen nature of the chaotic life where health, accidents happen and horrible tragedies occur. And we look around and we go, God, where were you? And he says, I'm right here. And we want to argue, Lord, if you're really here, you wouldn't have let this happen. And what do we base that on? We say, if you were really good, you wouldn't have let this happen. Based on what? Your extreme knowledge of what is good. Don't make me tell you how little you know about what is good. We make assertions about what we think God should do, and we get disgusted with him or we get upset with him or we get frustrated with him and we turn our eyes away from the light and we choose to stay in darkness jesus came for you he came into your darkness to shine the light and if you will stop and walk toward him if you will call upon his name, he will lift you out. And that doesn't mean tomorrow you still don't have the same problems. They're not going anywhere. You live in a fallen world, a broken world. And there's a promise of a new world coming. That's our hope. But Jesus said, in this world you shall have. Well, you guys know it. You shall have tribulation. You shall have difficulty. You will have your heart broken. You will have bad things happen. There's no escape for those things. There is hope in Christ for a future that we want to put our trust into. Jesus, he comes to the light. What does he say? What's his message in the darkness? Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're going to hear people talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this and the kingdom of that. Let me just settle it for you. Don't get rattled. It's all the same. The kingdom is wherever Jesus is. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom. When Jesus comes back, where's the kingdom going to be? Right here, because this is where he'll be. When Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, where was the kingdom? Right there with him. Because who's the king? Yeah. The kingdom is in the presence of the king. So what do we do to enter the kingdom? How do we enter the kingdom of God? How, do we, how are we a part of the kingdom of God? How are we in the presence of Jesus Christ? Don't overcomplicate these things. The Bible declares to us, Peter would deliver the message. He would say that the Lord God commands all men everywhere. How many people is that? So it's not complicated, huh? All men everywhere repent and believe. Repent and believe. Just think about it like this. You're walking in the darkness in one direction. And you look off in the distance and here is coming the light. And eventually that light gets to where you are walking the other way. And that light, as it passes you, he, Jesus looks over and says to you, come follow me. What do you have to do to follow him? Well, you got to follow him. What is the word for a change of direction, a change of mind, a change in your attitudes and your love for the world? What is that word? Repent. Turn and follow Christ. This message is going to come over and over again. Matthew 10, he's going to say, um, again, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 24, Jesus is looking at his disciples. Listen to what he said to his disciples in Luke 24. He opened their minds to understand the scripture. Who opens our mind to understand the word? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. How many nations is that? 
that repentance will be proclaimed to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. When we read the book of Acts, what happened? They began in Jerusalem, and where do they end up? All around the world. In Acts chapter 20, reading of Paul's ministry, he says, he's describing and to the Ephesian elders, he says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks of what? To the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or repent and believe. Repent and believe. Acts 26, 20. The message hasn't changed. But declare first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, the Goyim, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Now keep in mind, we, we take repentance and we make repentance about, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God. Okay, well, there may be a part of that that's included, but the important part is change your direction. So you guys remember the picture. The light is walking toward me. I'm walking in the darkness this way. Jesus says, come and follow me. And I say, all right, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Now, what would be works fitting of repentance? To keep going this way? Because did I repent? So repentance means I do what? Well, I turn around and I follow him. Following Christ. Repentance demands a change of direction. A change in the way I think about things. A change in the focus of my life. Will it include sorrow for my sin? Sure. But sorrow is nice. Right? How do you feel about that? Let's say I come over to your house with a spray can and I spray paint all over your house, um, I don't know, Biden for president. <laughs> and then, now some of you may be all about that and that's okay. I don't mean anything disrespectful about that. I paint it all over your house and you come out to me and you say, Jackie, what'd you do? All right. Painted your house. Well, I don't really like this. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Well, sorry is okay. But it still says Biden all over my house. You guys get what I'm saying? It's got to be a change. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. If I have changed my direction can you tell if I'm driving somewhere and you look over to me and you say Jackie this is the wrong way and I go oh yeah no thanks and I just keep going what good is that so what do I need to do I need to turn around this is a message this is the light brought to the darkness. Now listen, the Bible as a whole is going to tell us this story. If you read the book of Proverbs, you guys are reading the Proverbs every day because I know you're all being good students of doing the one-year Bible, right? And we're all reading and listen, don't come under condemnation. Just relax. Make the time. Don't go back and say, I have to now reread 75 chapters. Just stop it. Go to today and keep going. Open it up. You're going to read a proverb every day. You know the story of the Proverbs is? There are two paths you can walk. One leads to life. One leads to death. They are called the path of the wise man and the path of the fool. You heard that before? They're the wise steward. Where's he going to? He's following Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom, who's beckoning, come follow me. But the fool, he never learns. He keeps going the other way. There's a path that leads to death and a path that leads to life. Jesus is coming and saying, come follow me. This is the path of life. Come this way. Come follow me. This is a message he brought into the darkness. And he's going to deliver it to particular people, isn't he? 
He's going to deliver that message to particular people who are going to respond to the message that he gives. And what are they going to do? They're going to get up out of their boats and they're going to do what? They're going to go and follow him. Look what it says, verse 18. So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When the day the call came, they did not hesitate. They just went. Now, my point is, I think they interacted with Jesus before this. I don't think Jesus called them before this. I think they saw Jesus teaching. They heard what he was saying to the people. The Bible says he was going into the synagogue. He was going around the Galilee. And he was teaching. And I think there was interaction. They had heard. Maybe they thought, man, what would life be if only we could follow the rabbi? I'm I'm a... Fishermen, this is all I'll ever have. But they're looking at that, at Jesus and the message that he has, and they're thinking, well, it would be so cool if we could ever get an opportunity like that. But you know, those opportunities don't come to fishermen. No rabbi ever said, you know, I need to get me some disciples to follow me, and I can pour into and equip them and send them out. So I'm going to go to Galilee, and I'm pick a fisherman. They did not do that. What great professor, great speaker on the world stage is walking around saying, you know, I'm going to find me a construction worker somewhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a farmer. I'm going to go out to somebody who's never been to school. Nobody does that except God. He does it. So they go out to, to these guys who are thinking perhaps, you know, who knows, but they're thinking you know, that's, that's not a life for me. I'm, I'm a fisherman. I don't know about that stuff. You know how many times people in church have told me that? Oh, I don't really understand the word that good. Or, Well, that's okay. We can fix that. You don't have to stay that way. You can choose to stay that way. But you don't have to stay that way. Do you? Now, you don't got to go to some fancy school. You don't got to read Greek and Hebrew. You just got to want to know God more. That's all. And that's what these guys, I think they're sitting in the boat and they see Jesus coming. And I like it because I think the chosen kind of, if you guys have seen that, I think it kind of models that concept, you know, because you see behind the scenes. The Bible doesn't tell us, but you see behind the scenes and they see Jesus kind of afar off doing his thing until the day he calls them. And on the day he calls them, they change their direction. Right? We're going to see the disciples, two sets of disciples here. Okay, and we go through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to see two sets of brothers right now. By, by chapter 9, we're going to see Matthew who's writing this book. He's not there yet, but he will be in chapter 9. By chapter 10, they're going to have everybody. Chapter 10 of Matthew, all the disciples, all together. And there's a process to it. And I I want to just kind of point out the process. Number one, they're going to get a call that sounds like this. Follow me. Right? And in that call, this is not, hey, agree with the things I say. Now, there's agreement because you should never argue with Jesus. Everybody okay with that? If I'm arguing with God, I'll give you two guesses of who's wrong. So we don't argue with him, but it's not agreement with his teaching. Listen, it's surrender to the teacher. Not just agreement. Hey, I, I agree with the things Jesus said. Well, that's cool. A lot of people did that and never followed him. Do you get it? So they're follow him. This is, this is surrender. The first part, we have to follow Jesus. Second part, surrender to his will. Did these brothers' lives change? Could you tell? Well, let me, let's just make it simple. Not that overnight they became holy. On Friday, they were fishermen. 
on Saturday they were disciples. Could you tell the difference? You know how you could tell the difference? The disciples were following Jesus. The fishermen were fishing. Could you see that? Could you see the fruit of the repentance, the change of direction? Yeah, oh yeah, I could see. They, they, changed. they were fishing before, now they're following Jesus. They were surrendered to his will. They yielded to his leading. Where you go, I go. My favorite section of that is in Ruth. I don't have it in front of me. I'm just thinking about it, so I'm going to misquote it. But you guys can go look at Ruth. But Ruth, when she, when she looks at Naomi, she, she says to Naomi, Naomi keeps telling her, go away, go away, go away. Ruth says, no, where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I'll die too. And there I will be buried. Now, Ruth was a Moabitess. But on that day, she didn't look like one. You get it? Here, the disciples, hey, they don't, they're, they're not holy. If you looked at them, they still have the tattoos. They still, the piercings all over their face. You know, fishermen. I don't know if fishermen have tattoos piercings but you know there people didn't look at fishermen and go oh there he is that's the holy guy no but they could see that they were doing what following jesus and because they were following jesus what happened to their behavior did it change so much so that when those same men are standing before the council of the people who crucified jesus they, the bible says they looked at him and they said these are unlearned men I know that's Bible speak for these guys are knuckleheads. They're fishermen from the from the docks. How are they here? But you remember what they said next? And they said, but they have been with Jesus. And if you've been with Jesus, you start to look like him and not like everything else. Simply because you're following him. You're surrendering to his will. The last part, you accept his mission. Jesus says, follow me. We follow him. We surrender. And we accept his mission. The calling of the disciples in chapter 4 prepares them for the short-term mission trip they're going to have in chapter 10, where they're going to go around to the cities of, of Israel. That'll be their first short-term mission trip because the Bible says that the gospel was going to go to the Jew first. And then it prepared them for Matthew 28 when they received the Great Commission, which Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So you go and do what? Make disciples. We have discipleship program that many of them are, are wrapping up uh, right now. The elders choose men to be a part of a discipleship group where they get individual discipleship. And then when it's finished, the, the goal is to look at those men and say, now will you hear the commission that Christ gave and not say, I don't know anything about the word, but rather say, I'm going to go make disciples and just take the same thing that was done with you to someone else. Are you ready to accept the mission? That mission is not just given to preachers or elders, but it should be a part of what they do, yes? But it's given to everyone. Go, therefore, make disciples of every nation. And what do disciples do when you make disciples? They make Disciples. The first group, yeah, that's disciples. And then they go out and make more disciples. We call them the early church fathers. And then they go out and make more disciples, and we call them the little later early church fathers. And then on and on it goes. That's how we have a history of the church today, because disciples made disciples, made disciples, made disciples. If we're going to follow the call of Jesus Christ today, like these men, 
whom Jesus called, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are going to change our direction, surrender to his will, and accept his mission. That's our purpose. That's what we're to do. It says in verse 20 of Matthew 4, Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. I like these guys are the sons of thunder. So, you know, Peter was a bit of a knucklehead too, so don't. These guys, why are they focused on these guys? These guys were what we call the inner circle. And you say, gosh, it's not fair. God has an inner circle. Yes. These are the students in class that have to sit closest to the teacher. Hannah? These are the kids that got to sit closest to the teacher. Why? Because this is the problem, children. These are the guys who are going to say, let's call down fire from heaven and, and burn all these people up. And the Lord's like, you stand right here. Get as close to me as you can because that nature in you is going to have to be changed. It's not about uh, uh, having a special privilege. It's just getting what you need. There are those of us who know we need to stay super close to Jesus. Because if I get anywhere outside or close to Jesus, I'm like one breath away from disaster. And if more preachers in particular understood that, there'd be far less we read about in the newspaper. Right? We, that's the safe zone. That's the only safe spot I got. I get outside of that spot and it will just take one dumb decision to wreck it all. So I got to stay there. Why did he make me a preacher? Because I'm such a great preacher? No. <laughs> Ask some people. They'll tell you. It's not, about, it's not about the preaching. It's not about the message. It's God knowing. I got to keep this one right here. I have to be in the word. See, I can't do the, the well, I can do, but it's, I can't just on my own go, you know, I'm going to do the one-year Bible. God knew, i got to make sure this dude is reading the Bible every day or there's no hope for him. And so I'm going to make him a preacher. So I, I teach three times a week. In those three times a week, I read the Bible so much, I, I, do, I do the, through the Bible, I, I have an app, I listen to it in the morning. I'll sit down and listen. The other day, my morning was, what time, Hannah? You remember when we were having breakfast? What time was it? So 10 o'clock. Now, some people already did it at 6. But that wasn't my morning. My morning was 10. But I sit down and I put the app down and I get an opportunity to listen. But I have to be in the Word every day. Because if I'm not, it won't be very long. And it'll all be stinking thinking. God knows that. There's not like, you know, what makes Jackie a preacher is he went to Bible college. I did do that. Because I wanted to know, I wanted to understand more, but that didn't qualify me for nothing. I'm part of the inner circle of the crazy people who, if Jesus didn't keep them close, it would be a mess. Maybe you're part of that circle too. Welcome to the family. And, and as we consider this, there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple things I want to encourage you to do. I have uh, several guys I ride with who, who uh, recently I ride motorcycles with. Recently, they they joined a MC a motorcycle club, and they're using that as a ministry. I, I I bowed out because I don't have time. I'd like to have a time, but I I just don't have the time. I I have a family already, and I don't need a new one. But here's the call. This is this is. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with those guys. There's nothing wrong with those guys. They're, they're doing what they feel God's leading them to do, and that's, that's good. But here's the positive thing. Why do people seek something like an MC? Why do they seek that? Because, because they want family. And you know what those guys do? They call each other every day. Not most days, not some days. In fact, it's a command from hierarchy. Hey, you've got to call... We want to hear from you every day. We want to know what's going on. We don't like people kind of prying in our business sometimes. So, 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 so for some of that, 
us, that pushes us off. And, and maybe we're, we don't like that thing. But, but don't you know that that's what it's supposed to be like in the church? We need to be there for each other. You need to be talking to one another. You need to be calling one another. You need to be encouraging one another. And sometimes it's okay. Call Jackie and say, Jackie, I, I, I can't get through this thing or this with this person or whatever. Can you come talk with them? That's awesome. But you need to be doing it. You need to be the voice for one another that's shining light in the darkness. Because that's what it's supposed to be like. Not a place where we all come and, and act weird or, you know, the weird things people do, the religious things we can get caught up in. It's not about that. It's about connecting with one another, caring about one another, the people around you. And if a door closes, don't sweat the door that closes. Go to the door that's open. Right? Because... God's going to direct us in that so that we can meet the needs of one another. But see, we're existing in one big building all separately. And sometimes people drowned. And they were coming to church all that time, but they still drowned. How come they drowned? Because they needed the family. They needed, they may, they may tell you, I don't want that. Don't bug me. But that's baloney. I'll tell you why. I know that's baloney. This is nothing. I got so far to go. Um, <laughs> so, 12 years ago, Kathy and I just started coming here. And I know you guys don't always think I know, but I know who's coming and who's not coming, who's here, who's not here. Um, and so there's this family. They were the Lures family. Uh, Daniel and Anna Lures. Some of you may know them. And when I first got here, Anna was very bubbly like Kathy. She didn't have a problem talking to people. But as soon as church ended, that Daniel will run out and sit in his truck. And so I set my eyes on him. I was like, I see you. And uh, I know your wife's still here talking, so you're out in the parking lot. I got this. So every Sunday, I'd walk out to his truck. He had a hole. He Later on, he told me he had a hole in his center console where he stuck his knife in the hole because he seen me coming. The preacher is coming over here again. Why? He won't leave me alone. So I'd go out, and I, I just tried to connect with him. Try to say, he'd say, I don't need nobody. I don't need, I'm a farmer. I'm doing my thing, you know. I I'm, I'm make my wife happy, whatever, but then I'm just waiting for, for her to leave so we can go home. And I'd go out and just talk to him. I didn't talk to him. I didn't go out there and preach to him. I just saying, hey, what's going on? How are you? What's happening? Today, Daniel and Anna are in, are in Missouri, and Daniel's teaching in church for the pastor every time he's gone. He covered for me when I would be gone. He came up through... A discipleship and just fell in love with the Lord because what he needed was someone who cared about him. It doesn't matter what they say. If I had a nickel for every teenage kid who says, I don't need you, I don't need church, I don't need none of this, get away from me. I'll be a wealthy man. But they do. They need to know somebody cares. That they don't need they get enough preaching, they'll be okay. They need to know people care. They care about what's happening in their life, what's going on. Ask Hannah, she'll tell you. She got to be an example three times today. She's going to be super excited when she comes home. <laughs> we want to be able to be that for one another. That's part of discipling. The disciples went with Jesus wherever he went. They did stuff together. It's not just, coming here is great, and I'm glad you guys come, and we want to learn about the Lord, but we got to, we got to get together with one another, or this ain't going to work. We're going to drown even though we're sitting in church. A lot of people have the last couple years, and a lot of people still are. They need that hope. 
The last thing I want to tell you is about the power Jesus displayed and why this is an important part of the story. In verse 23, I know it's late, but I'm almost done. He went through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease. Please mark that. Healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread through all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, afflicted, various diseases, pains, oppressed by demons, having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Why? Why in Jesus' ministry did he heal everybody who came to him? But he, he, he's not doing that now. And there are preachers out there that think he's supposed to still be doing that, and so they make that the focus of the gospel. But the focus of the gospel is not healing. The focus of the gospel is to repent and believe, trust Jesus Christ, follow him, surrender to his will, accept his mission. That's the focus of it. So why did he do this? Because when Messiah came, he's making this proclamation. This world is broken. And we are a bunch of broken people suffering in a broken place. And I need this broken, these broken people in this broken place to know I'm the cure for their brokenness. So I'm going to show you while I'm here that I can make it all go away. And he healed everyone who came to him. You can't find an example of someone coming to Jesus for healing where Jesus said, don't have time. That's faith healers today that do that. But Jesus never did that. He healed them. He's making the proclamation. I want you to understand. Jewish tradition, worldview of that day was that sickness was a direct result of living in a broken, fallen world. And the hope was the messianic age, the kingdom, would take that grief away. That's still our hope today. Right? For there will be a day when he will wipe away how many tears? All the tears. Right? He'll take away all the pain. There will be a day. We're living in that hope, looking for that hope. And Jesus is demonstrating that he's going to do that because he heals everybody who comes to him. But he, he's, it's not time to fix the world yet. That time comes, Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes back, his feet hit the earth, and he begins to fix the world. That day the kingdom of God enters in. That, that will be the day when there's going to be the turn on the clock and there will be the end of sickness and pain and suffering. That day. Until then, the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look to the one who is your help. Now he helps us walk through. And he may deliver here and he may deliver there. That's God's will. We let God decide those things. I'm okay with that. But I know that he's with me no matter what I'm in. No matter what I go through. No matter what my struggle. He's there walking with me. Telling me what to do. How to, how to act. How to think. He's telling me all those things. I get caught in my own mind. I'll lose my way. I got to stay connected to his mind. The point is that God himself here in the flesh as light in the darkness is shining before the people and saying, I'm your hope out of this. That's why he healed people. Not so that you could go have a healing ministry. He healed people so you would know he's the cure for the fallen world. He's the cure for our brokenness and our sickness and all of those things. He's still the cure for all that. Does, does Jesus heal today? Don't misunderstand me. Yes, he does. Does he heal everyone? No. He doesn't. There are times he says yes, and there are times he says no. So, so that's something that God is doing. We may understand more fully when we see him. The message when he came was these are all symbols of the brokenness of this world. You're, you got messed up legs. You can't walk. You have a demon. You have this. You have this. You have this. And they all came to Jesus. And boom. He healed them all. He healed every one of them to say. Where I am. There's no death. No sorrow. No brokenness. I am the kingdom. There will be a day that kingdom puts his feet on the earth. There will be a day. Now, yes, even so, Lord, come.
please. Today would be fine. So, I want you to, to have that understanding. I also want to leave you with some, some, some hope. Because I know a lot of people are worried about the times and the seasons and the things going on in the world. And, and the war and the not war. And well, what's this all mean prophetically? Let me please under, give you the understanding that. We are looking for no prophetic sign before Jesus Christ calls his church home. Every, every single period of time since Jesus ascended to today, Christ could come back. There's no prophetic thing necessary for Jesus to call the church, the bride, to himself. None. That, whether, what, whatever Russia does, it does not matter. There will be wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. Keep going. You've got marching orders. Yes? Are there prophetic things that we would go, hey, that's kind of crazy. They're, if they start to build the temple, hey, you should go, that's kind of weird. The Bible says there's got to be a temple because there's going to be an antichrist who stands in a temple one day. Right? And proclaims himself to be God. So that would be wild. What if a bunch of nations all got together and, and uh, invaded uh, Israel? Oh, yeah, you should say, whoa, that's weird. The Bible talks about stuff like that. Does it have to be Russia? Doesn't have to be Russia. Could be anybody. Gog and Magog is a picture of the wickedness of the rulership of man coming against God. Ezekiel 38, Gog and Magog are put down by who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus returns, who's he put down? All the armies of the world lined up against Israel. Crazy. Revelation chapter 20, what happens? Satan's loose for a season, and Gog and Magog make war against God, and who puts it down? Who puts it down every time? God does. Does, does, does he need us for that? He's saying, I've given you marching orders. I've got a purpose for you. Fulfill your purpose, trust me, and know any moment, any day, any time, I can call you home. And if I haven't, it's not time yet. We still got work to do. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. You still might make lunch at noon. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you for the truth of your word, and I know... I don't know, God, there's just a lot of things on my heart and my head. Um, I, I don't want to blame them all on you. But um, I know that you are the light that shone in my darkness. That there was a day when you called me. You said, Jackie, come follow me. The Bible tells us that today is the day, now is the time of salvation, that, that the, the word has gone out, that the call is being made, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And when we respond to the call of Jesus, we follow him, we surrender our will, and we accept the mission in front of us, whatever it is. I know sometimes, Lord, I thought, man, I'm so excited. I'll do, I'll do ministry on the beach in Hawaii and I'll learn how to surf. But you didn't call me there. You, you brought me here. And here is not a bad place. I love Buell, Idaho. In fact, I would not have liked the beach all that much. Too many people there. You, you brought me to a place where there's a small town that I could be a part of and a group of people who will accept the frailty and failure and, and uh, vulnerability maybe of uh, a preacher who's not perfect but who loves Jesus God I pray that we men and women in this place today who maybe are in the darkness would hear you say you don't got to be there if you ask me I'll lift you out 
I pray we would be people who don't just give lip service, but honest, true service. Not only did I say, yes, Lord, I believe, but I follow you. That's how I know. God, I know that your spirit is moving in this place, that you are the one who is able to uphold us, to lift us up, to equip us. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work by your spirit in this place for anyone who's here, for anyone who hears, for whosoever. Lord, I pray that your truth would go forth and you, God, that we would lift you up. For Jesus, you declared, if the Son of God is lifted up, then I will draw all men to myself. So, Lord Jesus, we lift you up and ask you would draw your people in this place, that you be glorified and magnified as we hear your call and as we walk in obedience to you. And we give you praise for who you are, In Jesus' name, amen.